Hey, my friends, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Real Live Talk. Really, really appreciate you for taking the time to check out this episode. If this is the first time that you're here, just want to welcome you and say how grateful I am for you for stopping by. And if you're coming back for more, really, really appreciate you guys as well. I want to tell you about the brand new Facebook page. It's on Facebook. Obviously, it's called Real Live Talk. It's exclusively dedicated to this podcast and it's a way that's going to I think help me to provide more meaningful content in a more centralized way so if you haven't done so already if you would go and check out the Facebook page it's at facebook.com forward slash real live talk podcast um, if you'd go there and like or follow that Facebook page maybe even leave a review it would help me tremendously I'm pushing that right now because it's kind of the centralized place right now where I'm uh, focusing the live events and then um, some additional uh, content as well. So please check it out. I'd really, really appreciate that. Of course, if you're listening to this on one of the podcast platforms and you haven't subscribed already, please um, consider subscribing and uh, maybe even leaving a review on one of the podcast platforms that will help us continue to grow. And I would really, really appreciate that. Um, this conversation today is about worship and discipleship. One of the things I try to do is to never become critical of another person's or even another church's worship style or expression because there are probably really an infinite number of ways that we can express ourselves before God. Worship is so much more than the songs we sing or how we sing them. And I personally uh, believe that God is fascinated and his heart is moved when we worship him, whether that's through singing songs, talking, uh, just contemplating who he is, or even in the way that we serve others. That having been said, a big aspect of the way we express worship corporately in the American church today is with the worship segment of our services. And we talk a lot about that, particularly in this conversation. And I just wanted to just kind of say up front, the goal is not to be critical, but to evaluate and ask some tough questions about how we as worshiping communities are collectively expressing love, honor, and worship to God. Uh, Aaron offers some really amazing wisdom here that comes from years of experience leading worship, uh, being a worship pastor, and training and raising up worship pastors and teams. So let me tell you about my guest. Aaron Keyes is the founder of 10,000 Fathers and Mothers, also known as 10K Fam, which is a discipleship-oriented worship school committed to raising up spiritual fathers and mothers who will collectively shape the future of the church. He also founded Mirror Worship, which is 10K Fam's online learning community. You'll find out more about both of those uh, schools and programs at the end in case you're interested in going a little bit further. Aaron's heart is to restore the word of God to the foundation of corporate worship and to help lead the next generation of worship leaders to become more biblically empowered worship pastors. So again, thank you guys so much for being here. And uh, without further ado, please join me in welcoming to the podcast for the first time, Aaron Keys. Yeah, just <laughs> listening to you, I got inspired. I'm like, this is so awesome. <laughs> You're like, I did all that, huh? Yeah, it sounds good. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, that the 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 mission there, you know, the mission there that I just read off as far as what what your heart is, what you're passionate about and and the the really the goal behind 10,000 fathers and mothers and this desire to raise up spiritual fathers and mothers who will uh impact the generation that's in front of them, who will uh shape um culture and really uh shape the this next generation of worship 
leaders and worshipers that's coming up um that's uh that's still that that, that still inspires you <laughs> oh big time man i'm more convinced it's it's critical now than i was when we started 15 years ago yeah man that's so good that's so good. Well, I just want to say, really appreciate you. I'm blessed and honored to have you on the show today. So thanks so much for, thanks, for doing this with Excited. me. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah. fun. Yeah, well, well, good, man. Let's 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 jump into some stuff. I want to know kind of just on that as a, as a jumping off point. And like, just so you know, I mean, I'm totally open to anywhere that this conversation takes us. But uh, I, I would love to get a little bit of the background on you in terms of what led you to start first of all well what was known as Ten Thousand fathers yeah. now known as Ten Thousand fathers and mothers i'm super mm -hmm. curious about uh and i think i have a pretty good idea but i'm curious about where that name came from originally and then also why the 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 decision to shift into the the name change to 10k fam or Ten Thousand mm -hmm. fathers and mothers again i think i pretty, have a pretty good idea of, of why those things took <laughs> yeah. place but yeah. uh but i'd love to hear it from you and then just a little sure. bit about your uh your heart and what it was that kind of inspired you this is like the most loaded question i've ever asked yeah i think <laughs> like there's, I, i'm counting I just six like 18 questions, questions at once yeah yeah <laughs> okay Let's i think I, name I think I, and then we'll, okay, and then we'll cool. pick up from there yeah. Yeah. So in First Corinthians four, Paul says to that church in Corinth, he goes, "Even if you had ten thousand teachers, you don't have mm -hmm. many fathers. But this is what yeah. I've become for your sake. So imitate me as I imitate Christ." So this this picture of um, imitation, you know, parenting, mother, father, that is such a massive shift that happens in the Bible in the New Testament as soon as the gospel breaks outside of the confines of the Jewish culture. So. From the time the book of Acts wraps up, the rest of the New Testament, you don't find the word disciple. It's not in there. Mm. You find a lot of conversations around sons, daughters, family, beloved children. I'm in the pains of childbirth. Like the wow. metaphor switches. So when Jesus, I mean, when Jesus is hanging out with his guys, he's obviously he's a rabbi, Jewish custom, and he's got his disciples, Jewish young men. But in the book of Acts, once the kingdom breaks out of that one little tiny culture and starts going into all the world, the language shifts and the picture shifts from a teacher and students to uh, a father and sons. And so um, we started we started training up worship pastors um, 15 years ago, actually, when uh, when I was traveling a ton. I was a worship pastor at a church in Atlanta for 20 years. I've been in Colorado for the last two years. I still lead. Um, I still write songs. We still do all that stuff. But the more that I did it back in the day, um, the more conversations I would have with pastors, and they would always kind of go the same way. They were like, hey, uh, we've got good singers, and we've got musicians, mm. but we don't have anyone who can shepherd us in worship, who can pastor wow. our people in knowing God more deeply and following Christ more faithfully through worship. Do you... Do you know anyone who could do that for us? And so, I mean, I really quickly sent as many people as I had trained out into the world. And then, you know, I sent three or four people and then three or four more churches were like, you got anyone for us? And so now it's like, I'm just bombarded every day. I probably talk to a different church or a pastor that are desperately looking for a worship pastor, not a worship leader. Wow. Worship leaders lead songs. Worship pastors lead people. And the world doesn't need any more worship leaders. If wow. if if leading songs was going to change the world, it would have by now. 
you know we've got like 160,000 songs ccli it's not changing the world like we are delusional if we think that's changing the world like it's i'm sure it's blessing people wow. you know i'm a songwriter like I, i'm not denigrating songwriting it it matters but it is a sliver of what mm. our um what should be in our purview as worship pastors not just the music that we sing but like how how are we throughout the week helping people follow jesus well how, how are we doing that you know mm-hmm. um and for that matter like how are we making disciples because Surely if like singing, you know, on Sundays was that big of a deal and that that leader in that role was that big of a deal, there'd be something about it in the New Testament. But there's not like yeah. it's just not there. It, there it, it's yeah. not like it's not a spiritual gift. It's not um, it's not an Ephesians four kind of office, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher worship leader right. like it's just not there you know so yeah. we've we've really made this role central and it's vi- highly visible of course um which is new that's new in church history that's only 50 years old and you know because when i was even when i was a kid you know like 30 years ago we didn't have a worship we had a music minister like you had a music mm-hmm. minister right. right or choir director or something but it's all shifted and that's all really beautiful there's amazing stuff that's happened um but one of the uh one of the you know side effects of this shift has been now um you don't really need to be trained or studied or vetted to be that visible in a local church community if you can play guitar and look half decent and skinny jeans we'll give you a job like we'll give you a good job and and so now we're at the point 20 years 20 years into this experiment where we're realizing and more and more churches are calling me because they're they're confronting this realization um some more dramatically than others this is not a good idea to put people in that important of a role with that much leadership potential and that much influence if they have not been wisely formed patiently discipled, you know, somewhat widely read, theologically grounded, musically trained. Like now we're realizing what happens when you put people up on a stage because of their competency, but you forgot to really check out their character, you know? Well, um, and we're seeing it every, every week, new story of, and I, <laughs> It's actually not just worship leaders, you know, but especially in the worship space, because there's not an established proven path where if you want to be a worship leader church, this is what you do. You go get trained here. That's that's different. Like if you want to be a missionary, you go get trained with a missions agency. If you want to be uh-huh. a past a senior pastor, you go get trained at Bible school, you go to seminary, whatever. If you if you want to be a youth pastor, you know, you go to Bible. there are there are pretty familiar paths for all those things. No such path for worship. And so people just hop on stage without having done the formation, the writing the papers, doing the accountability that a normal pastor in the process of being formed would do. And so now we're now we're seeing what happens when you do that. Mm, And the results aren't great. Right. Yeah. So when you're talking about in the average church setting, somebody who is a uh, 
senior pastor, children's pastor, youth pastor, a lot of times, a lot of churches, they're kind of looking for somebody who's got some kind of a degree, who's gone through some level of training or something like that. Not in every case, obviously, but in but yeah. in in a lot of, in a lot of situations, but they're not necessarily uh, doing the same thing when it comes to they're looking for somebody to lead the worship on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whatever. They're just kind of looking for somebody who can uh, hold a tune and and lead the the congregation in some songs, right? That's nice. a fair assessment. Yeah. Um. And and now you guys are, uh, 10K Fam. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is partnered up with Duke Divinity. Is that is that correct? Yeah, a few different schools. So Northern okay. Seminary in Chicago, Visible Music College, Duke Div, and we're in talks with more more and more seminaries and divinity schools, who are you know coming around to this recognition, like. Hey, the role of a worship pastor kind of matters and no one's mm. forming them and seminary definitely isn't forming them, you know? And, wow. and, you know, I did seminary. Like I, when I did seminary, I, it was great to spend six months in Ecclesiastes. No one ever asked me about my marriage. Like no one asked about my money wow. Yes, or right. about my soul. Like, you know, you can go right. through. So even on those well-worn paths, there's so much valuable stuff like in incredibly important indispensable things you need to learn if you're going to wisely shepherd people through the complexities of 2022 right you need that stuff but you also really need your inner being to be formed and that mm. doesn't necessarily happen with a with a comprehensive understanding of ecclesiastes like that's great but we also need this we need discipleship like we need formation the kind of stuff that happens in family which which yeah. is you know going back to your original question it's the reason that the the image shifts from a rabbi and disciples to a parent and a child is because all of us can connect to the parent and the child we all understand that i don't i don't know a rabbi i mean i actually do know a couple of rabbis but i've never like had a rabbi you know like i can meet with one for coffee but it's a very foreign thing but but the, the role of a father and a mother on a son or a daughter, well, it's ubiquitous. It's, uh, it's ageless, you know? It's mm. like everyone can get that. And okay. the way that we grow in family over a long period of time and we pick up on the traits of our parents, right, wrong, or indifferent, we end up looking kind of like them whether we want to or not. Like that, that resemblance is what should be marked marking our disciples actually like and it's just funny like it's yeah. it's the most natural thing in the world but we we fail to bring that over into the ecclesiological or the spiritual and we actually think it's the goal is just we just keep growing we just grow and grow and grow and grow and that's true for us as individuals and that's true for our churches we just grow and grow and grow but it's it's not that's not what yeah physiologically that's yeah. not how it works at least yeah like you grow to a point so you can multiply and you can mm. procreate and you can, you know, I've made my wife and I have made four people like we we've made four <laughs> sons. Right? right. And and like it's pretty incredible that each of them are uniquely different, gifted, but they also carry DNA from myself, from my wife. And they've got their own stuff that's different, too. Mm -hmm. Like the way that that works in the natural I think should be the template for how it's supposed to work in the spiritual and, wow. and you know, the, the, 
the the metaphor just keeps going. So like, let's say like, um, let's say a couple has been trying to have kids, but they can't, right? And that's a heartbreaking thing. We've walked through it with tons of our friends where infertility um, is crippling a couple's ability to have kids. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, in the natural realm, that is a, a very sad tragedy. In the spiritual right. realm, that's status quo. It's normal. Yeah. Yeah. We don't even think people actually think it's weird that we make disciples. They're like, whoa you you actually like do the thing we're all supposed to be doing like you actually raise people up you know and disciple the reason discipleship is so tricky is because like it kind of means everything and so it means nothing you know like ask 100 people wow Wow. no pastors are like against discipleship everyone's gonna be like yeah we're for it but then if you're like well how does it work Wait, do we do that? I think we're kind of doing that. Like, we're kind of doing well, discipleship now, right? I mean, <laughs> that's what Dallas, Dallas Willard said. Every church needs to ask two questions. What's our plan for making disciples? And is it working? Mm. <laughs> like, is it working? So good. And I think, like, it should be somewhat objective. Like, right? did you or did you not raise up people who are more mature in Christ and and more able to go out and faithfully follow God's call in their life in the last 12 months or didn't you like did you throw a bunch of pizza parties you know or did did and did you have a thousand people show up yeah. and and I think we get into a lot of trouble when we we confuse uh our congregations with people we're discipling you can't disciple wow. people from a stage G- Jesus yeah. couldn't you know like right. even Jesus right. didn't he didn't get caught up in the there's thousands here I'm making, I'm discipling thousands. He, he didn't, he, right. he discipled yeah. a dozen. He, he didn't even bat a thousand there, you know? Um, it's really messy. If G, if it was messy for Jesus, you know what I mean? Like we should yeah. expect it's going to be hard. Um, we should expect there'll be some betrayal. There'll be some wounding. There'll be all kinds of hard stuff like is normal in family. It just happens in a family. You know, my yeah. wife's like a therapist and she's into like internal fist, uh, family systems theory and all this kind of stuff. And it's crazy how much she's learning. How it's like, this is exactly the case in discipleship too. It's and in mm. churches and in all the rest. Um, and so if Jesus changed the world by three years of investment into a dozen guys, you know, I mean, what are we doing? If we're never actually pulling yeah. away from the big crowds and the activities to invite people into our lives close enough to see we're worth following and to love people well enough to earn the right to challenge them in the places that Mm. we see that they're not living up to what God's called them to be, you know? So this is the kind of stuff that we, we don't just talk about, but we model and we have been actively like walking with leaders for the last 15 years through this discipleship kind of, uh, pathway at worship school. It's an 18 month thing. It's, it's accredited as master's level credit. Like you mentioned, um, six months on character, six months, competency, six months on calling where mm. we feel like these are the three major, um, m- missing pieces for a lot of worship pastors that will either sabotage them or short circuit them. You know, a lot wow. of times it's, it's character. So a lot of times it's, they, they, ha- because they haven't had, 
someone teach them how to read the Bible and how to interpret it. Like the Bible is a weird book. It's like talking donkeys. This guy's like, I'm going to give my ghost to you. You know, it's like crazy stuff. Like we need to know how do we interpret this? It's not simple, like crazy complicated. Most worship leaders were never taught that, you know? Right. Um, Right. Most worship leaders, you know, and, and you just get sucked into the current of what worship is and that's not really going to help you either. You know, it's like worship, worship lyrics have gone from a mighty fortress is our God to I want to nibble on your ear. You know what I mean? It's like we've come a long way from really thinking deeply about the Is that a real song or, or is that a, is, is that a simplification? It's not yet, but just watch, just wait. It's just Somebody's a matter of time. Going. Somebody's taking notes right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, please don't write that song. No, I was so, just curious. Yeah. I was just curious. That was real, but I, I, I totally get. I totally get what you mean there. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I I'm not trying to. I, I don't want to be cynical, but I can't help be a little bit critical of where things are, where they're going, and I'm just like, gosh, is this help? Is this helpful to people? Is this helping people really follow? Jesus well. And I think like, okay, maybe for our generation, it's fine. But I get real nervous for the next generation. Because I have four mm. sons, like I told you. I have two kids in college, yeah, yeah, a high yeah. schooler and a middle schooler. They have a different BS filter than we grew up with. Um, right. They they just don't put up with stuff. And they don't, yep. I don't think they'll deal with incongruence like we will. Like, I mean, mm. I grew up in fundamentalism where like you have two different lives. Like, your church life and then your real life and <laughs> right. never the two shall meet. You know what I mean? But like <laughs> for, for the next generation, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they'll go with that. And yeah, it's an interesting yeah. thing when I ask, you know, when I ask teenagers, what music do you listen to? And they tell mm. me, and it's stuff like Jacob Collier, or Anderson Pack, or Chance the Rapper or mm. Rex Orange County. It's a lot of people like, I never even heard of until my kids mm-hmm. told me about them, you know? Right. And then I go, okay, cool, cool, cool. And what kind of worship music do you like? And they tell me the same kind of worship stuff that, that I've heard in most churches. It is a very big gap of sound between what's native to them and what we're requiring of them. And okay. it reminds me of being a teenager and the music I listened to was very different than the church music that we sang on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder how long are they going to be okay pretending to like this music? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think worship doesn't give a crap about the next generation. Like, worship is really chronocentric. Mm-hmm. Everything's about this moment. We're the generation. It's going to be us. I'm like, well, probably not. I think that like, I think God really cares about like long periods of time and one generation handing it on to the next. I mean, Psalm 78 is like big on that, you know, Um, Jesus was big on that in the Bible where one generation raises up another massive progress happens, you know, but most of biblical history is not the story of one generation mm. raising up the other. It's one generation making it harder for the other <laughs> or one generation yeah. not giving a rip about yeah. the other. Um, yeah. Or, you know, and so I think what Jesus is calling us to, and it's no different in worship, 
Like, great. Sing the songs. Write the songs. Great. Don't miss the point. The point mm. should be, are you making disciples or aren't you? And don't kid yourself if you think your songs are doing it for you. They might be a wow. part of it. But your sure. life is the biggest thing you have to offer, you know? And right. if no one gets close enough to see that, well, then what are you doing? I was thinking about, like, <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how, how, like, um, how free I can be on this podcast. Like, um, like, Addie's soldier, it, you know what I mean? Addie's soldier. Yeah, you got <laughs> well, it. Well, I was just thinking about, like, how good someone can look from far off. And then mm-hmm. how once you get up close, you're like, ooh, that's, mm-hmm. that is, wow, I was way off. Yeah. You know, like, um, yeah. if, if you just see someone on the other side of a grocery store, you can be like, wow, what a beautiful person. And then you bump into them, you're like, ooh, not not what I thought, you know? Like, <laughs> back up. Let's back up. <laughs> the, the closer you get to someone wow. in the faith, like in discipleship, the more you should respect them, you know? Um, 100%. And this is, I think it's part of the problem with like celebrity, big platforms and profiles, like more and more people see us from a a long way off. And there's nothing wrong with that unless we think that's going to make a difference. Like Mm -hmm. that might bless these people, but it's not going to build them. It might actually help them feel better. It's not going to let them help them do better. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And discipleship, (laughs) we actually might make people feel worse, but Mm. we're going to help them do better. Like we're actually yeah. going to walk with them. I actually listened to this, like, I've listened to big church leadership podcasts and they're like, our goal is to help people feel that they are loved and they're whatever, you know, not alone uh-huh. and they can do it. And I'm like, helping people feel something that you're not helping them do. Is that, is that good? You know, or mm. <laughs> are we actually right. empowering people right. or or just trying to like right. inspire are people. we coddling people right or are we are we yeah. building up people's ego are we you know doing that kind of a thing I, I think I think that I think that self-esteem is a big deal you know but if uh, but if if uh, but I do I get what you're saying that a lot of our a lot of our focus is on me it's on what I need and do I like this song or do I not like this song because if I don't like the song I'm going to sit down and if I like the song then I'm going to stand up I might raise my hands or you know do whatever and and there's you know that's not the definition of worship that's that's an expression of worship you know what I mean but yeah but I, I think that what you're talking about comes down so much to authenticity and 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 what you said there about you know how this this uh this current generation that's coming up you you mentioned their bs filter <laughs> yeah. is uh is a uh, is much um w- w- is stronger than ours or it's More you know what i mean they they, they yeah. in, in tune. there you go to to and so and and i think beyond just the the worship aspect of our of our worship services um in terms of the songs the, the whole thing, man, because I, I feel like there's a lot of things that we do in churches today. And I'm just curious about what you think about this, because it seems to go in line with what you're saying. If I can even articulate this, let me try. Uh, it seems like a lot of what we do in church, whether we're talking about Sunday morning, we're talking about, you know, Bible study, we're talking about discipleship programs, we're talking, you know, whatever we're talking about. So much of what we do in church is geared toward, you know, making people feel good or making people feel comfortable, making people feel welcome and stuff like that. And I think that it's important to make people feel welcome. I do. But I think that with our big, you know, 
the the biggest production of the week is typically the Sunday morning service. That's where a lot of energy, a lot of attention goes to as far as the the work of the people, if they're staff or volunteers or whoever. A lot of it goes into making sure that Sunday goes off, you know, without a hitch or as few hitches as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so often what we're doing is we're presenting something that's going to be palatable for people that might be new or might be, you know, there for the first time or might not understand. And so we do things to to try to like soften things down and not offend people. And I think that it takes away from the authenticity. So my question come becomes, okay, like fine, if you're wanting to do something to make people feel comfortable, in other words, you're wanting to do something that's kind of more geared toward the new person or to the unbeliever, like fine, but then at what point <laughs> do you initiate them into the the whole thing because it's it's it almost becomes this thing where you have to create something separate in order to give people the feel of of what you you know the fullness of what you really believe or what you're trying to establish as the culture of the church and so you create a midweek bible study or you create some kind of a program or some kind of a worship night or whatever where it's like this is where we go deeper okay but like eight percent of the congregation shows up to that thing so at what point are you going to be able to shift your culture and get people to go you know deeper if we're not showing people that and so that's kind of a a microchasm i think of the bigger picture of what you're talking about in terms of the closer that people get they should be recognizing that you are you're they should be recognizing that you are real that you are authentic that you are pointing to something good and bigger than you you're pointing people to the goodness of god it's not it's not like the closer you get you're starting to peel back layers and realize oh like that's not what i thought it was like oh that doesn't line up with what you said last time or that doesn't line up with what you said when you invited me here or when you brought me in or what Mm -hmm. is is what i'm saying making any sense it's like that authenticity piece of um of presenting people with the real deal allowing them to draw closer But the closer that they get, as you're saying to like those red flags, like shouldn't be going off like, oh, this person wasn't authentic with me from the beginning. I think that that's Mm -hmm. what we see from Jesus in such a powerful way is the authenticity that he always showed. And and he met people on different levels based on where they were. Mm -hmm. But the closer that they got. So in other words, he was able to talk to people who were in extreme poverty. He was able to talk to wealthy people. He was able to talk to people in government. He was able to talk to people who were in really like intense levels of sin and brokenness. And at the same time, show them the authenticity of the father because it was coming from a, in a, this authentic place of this is who I am. And I'm not changing that for anybody else. Uh, I know at this point I'm rambling. So, no. uh, but, well, but, but, uh, but you know what I mean? Does, does it make sense? Like, I, I know that yeah. I, you know, I'm hearing what you're saying and I, and I, and I, um, yeah, it's just, it's resonating me on it resonating with me on, uh, on a lot of different levels. So I, I appreciate what you're saying. Well, yeah, I would actually add another layer to, so I think authenticity is important, but I don't think it's everything. Mm, it's not um, everything. Yeah. I think authenticity matters, but maturity matters too. Mm-hmm. And you know, a two-year-old having a meltdown in the grocery store because they want to go to take a nap or they are, their blood sugar's low. Like that's (laughs) That's authentic, authentic, but it's not mature. (laughs) It's not, it's immature, you know, and you expect that from a two-year-old. It's fine. They're supposed to be like that. Right. But like in the, in worship, authenticity matters. 
but maturity does too. And so mm-hmm. it's like, are we helping people mature, like grow to the full image of Christ? Like, is that happening? Or if we're not, I actually would question how authentic it really is anyway, because mm-hmm. I mean, with everything going on in the world in the last couple of years, um, authenticity has to involve um, lament, sadness, grieving, questioning. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's just really hard to do if you just want everyone to feel good when they leave. You know, um, it's really oh. hard when when Russia starts bombing um, orphanages and shopping malls and hospitals. And if if we're coming, if we're cognizant of that throughout the week about how broken things are and how complicated they are and how divided our country is and whatever, we're co- we're cognizant of that. And then we come in on Sunday and seeing basically three different versions of everything's up and to the right. God's good all the time. Um, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Like it, that's not authentic. That's, mm. that's denial. Um, authenticity. And that's also not faithfulness. Faithful. One of the, one of my favorite lines in the Bible that I think illustrates like beautiful faithfulness is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to get thrown into this fiery furnace if they don't bow down to worship, mm-hmm. whatever, Nebuchadnezzar, whatever. And he's like, guys, you know, please. He likes these guys. It's like, don't do this. And they say, mm-hmm. our God's able to save us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, we're not mm-hmm. going to do it. That honesty of, to me, that's real faithfulness. That That's that's honesty authenticity and maturity is going we think god will rescue us but even if he doesn't we're not doing it that to me is courageous faithfulness not oh i believe god's gonna do it no question because i i mean you know as a 23 year old it was easier for me to believe god was gonna heal every person i laid hands on and Mm -hmm. break you know bring he bring restoration to every relationship i was praying for like as a 43 year old i would either have to be delusional Mm. or in denial to still believe that um so like what do i do do i give up altogether do i Mm. press through in delusion or do i just have to bring a lot more questions into god's presence now than certitude and that's the thing man like in the bible there's room for that especially in the psalms there's a lot of room for that Right. Um, there's a lot of room for the the entire depths of human personhood and soulish emotion and for the highs the lows all of it in the psalms there's stuff about like breaking the bow shattering the spear breaking the arm it's like it's all like disarming stop the violence kind of stuff you know um, and i think we should use the psalms as our measuring stick like mm. That, that shows us the full range of hum, of humanity being brought to God um, and surrendered to his wisdom. But if we don't ever bring our questions and our doubts and our disappointments, and sometimes I'm just like pissed off. Like if I can't bring that right. into the presence of God, right. that stuff's going to kill me. The stuff right. you don't bring is right. what's going to do you in, you know? Right. And so the when worship music... Is, is less and less objectively about God 
and more and more subjectively about how hard we're going to worship God today or how much we're going to love God or mm. how, you know, whatever, th then it, it makes it really hard to be authentic unless you've just had the best week ever, you and God, you know? Mm. But if you're, like, I work a job and I'm a mortgage lender, right? So I spend every day, I look at bond markets and U.S. Treasury yields, and I see the banks freaking out, rising rates, lowering rates, the Fed's doing stuff. So my like day-to-day -day is one thing. And then I pay attention to what's going on in the world. And then when I come into the presence of God, if I'm not able to bring like who I am and right. my real life in, right. then we're back to this, what I grew up in, this fundamentalist, um, bifurcated life that is compartmentalized and I think really mm -hmm. damaged really dangerous at best right. and destructive at worst. And I think it's, yeah. I think it's why David prays. What is it like Psalm 86? He's like, teach me your way. I'll walk in your truth. <laughs> Unite my heart to fear your name. Yes. Like, I think God wants us to bring all that we are. I think Jesus, everyone that you just talked, yeah. talked about, like yeah. he invites people to come just like you are. Like you, mm -hmm. if you're with Jesus, you will not stay like that. Yeah. Um, and that's that goes back to that discipleship question. Like if people are coming just as they are in authenticity, um, but they're not maturing and becoming more like Christ, then what's really happening here? Some there's a breakdown. Right. Right. It's second Corinthians three, it's Paul going, as we reflect on the glory of God, we're being transformed into that glory with ever increasing mm -hmm. glory, you know. Like if if we're really encountering God we're going to be changed. Maybe not night and day, maybe not like black and white, but over time, if we don't become, and so then it's like, well, what are the metrics? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, right. Yeah. There's lots of options. Fruit of the, fruit of the spirit. How about that? Like, are we becoming mm -hmm. more joyful or are we more, you know, peaceful yeah. or more anxious? Peace. Yeah. Yeah. And then nice the beatitudes, people. you know? Yeah. The beatitudes would be a great litmus test. Like, where are we at? Am I becoming, more merciful, you know, mm -hmm. um, or am I kind of grudgy and judgmental? Uh, like if, because right. we don't measure up to these things, instead we just use different metrics. Right. To make us look pretty good. And when we do that, we're just like the Pharisees. Like we've just created more new Pharisees, cooler looking Pharisees, cooler looking Pharisees, man. I, uh... Man, there's so much there. I, I'm thinking about um, going back to something that you said. I, I, I think that it's kind of this thing where we've got to like, we've got to have this faith in God, or you know, we should have this this growing faith in God that <laughs> says, um, you know, I have an expectation that God is, um, you know, I have an expectation that God is good and that we're going to see His goodness. Right. And so whether that's me laying hands on somebody and expecting that healing is going to take place or whatever. But at the same time, it's got to be coupled with this kind of like this deep rooted, this deep seated relational confidence that we have in God, that even if the thing like we Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that even if he doesn't do what we're expecting him to do here, like even if it doesn't come out the way that I'm hoping that it does, is not going to change the way that I feel about God. It's not going to change the way that I think about God. In fact, it can actually enhance my relationship with him because now that becomes something that I don't understand. It can become, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I maybe I'm just dealing with intense disappointment 
or it's a tragic circumstance that I'm walking through or something difficult or something just annoying or whatever, but something that I'm carrying that I can now go into God's presence with. And, and uh, you know, because uh, your, your former way of thinking is kind of a lot like my former way of thinking that like, I can't bring these kinds of things to God. Mm-hmm. I can't go before the Lord with my anger. I can't go before the Lord with this stuff. I got to deal with that outside the camp and then come in. Yeah. But that's not the reality of what Jesus has made available to us as sons and daughters of, of God, that we get to come in with whatever it is that we're carrying and lay it at his feet. And there's a divine exchange that takes place there. Maybe it's not in an instant. Maybe it goes on for hours. Maybe it goes on for days, weeks, but it's, it's as long as we're coming back to him, as long as we're coming to the source of everything that we need, then our relationship can actually be enhanced through those things that we don't understand. Cause now we can say, God, you know, I'm trusting you here. I'm trying to trust you, <laughs> but I'm struggling with this, man. Like I'm not understanding what's going on here. And I think that there's that that's a, in a lot of ways, what David, as you mentioned in the Psalms modeled to us, that it was coming to God oftentimes from a place of God, you're so big. You're so good. Your mar- your works are incredible, God. And then other times it's like, God, I'm like suffering here. Like my skin is sticking to my bone. <laughs> like, like yeah. I'm I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm worn out. God, you see what my enemies are doing. They're hunting me down. They're trying to kill me. You know, like all this kind of stuff that comes out. And so here's where I'm, you know, I'm kind of torn because how do you do that in the modern worship experience? Right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody is not in the same place from Sunday to Sunday or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever day of the week you meet. Um, everybody's not in that same, um, uh, you know, like, like we would call it taking people out to the woodshed. Like, you know, just cause you've been in the woodshed with God doesn't mean you've got to put that on everybody else. Yeah. And so just cause God's been dealing with me in a certain way every week as the worship leader, uh, or worship pastor or pastor or whatever, you know, I'm coming to present some, like I'm, I'm coming to serve. Right. And so Maybe God's been dealing with me on something. It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, everybody else. Well, it doesn't mean that everybody else in the congregation is in the same place. And if we're going through something collectively as a as a body and there's something that we're all kind of walking through together, that's been a difficult you know, kind of a situation. Then I can see where that becomes easier to walk together through that and to have those honest moments, even in worship, where you say, guys, like I, I don't even like I'm lost here with you. But mm-hmm. I know that God is good. I know that God is faithful. So, um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on on that? Just on even, you know, because there's certain things like the way that our modern worship experience is set up. I think that. Um, I don't know, like it can't be impossible. <laughs> it's not impossible, but it kind of makes it tricky sometimes to have those kinds of experiences where you are getting sort of the full spectrum of yes god is always good and so we can sing songs about how good god is and not be lying because it's true but it might not be how we you know what i mean how we feel in the moment but then are we supposed to be singing based on how we feel or are we supposed to be exalting his goodness in spite of how we feel and so there's just some you know kind of questions that I'm that I'm wrestling with here um because I I I'm I'm pretty sure I'm I'm on the same page with what you're saying but then it's like okay like how does this 
look like how do we how do we walk this out you know yeah and so obviously like a lot of the top 100 worship songs aren't going to help us here because worship music <laughs> is positivistic and triumphalistic like i'm always yeah. going to get the victory i'm going to get the breakthrough the mountain's going to move never mind the fact that you know we keep attending funerals of people that we love so mm. like this this dissonance between what we are saying and what we're seeing is getting more and more pronounced and so in in worship music because there's very few songs that talk about human frailty our weakness um most of it's about our our resolve how and these days i mean the songs are just outright if you ask me narcissistic like you're not even going to believe how awesome it is when i worship like you've never even seen someone worship like me you like when i worship and it's i'm just like dear god really is this this is a big song. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what we can do, even though we have limited songs that are going to help us do this, a, a wise shepherding pastoral leader can even use those songs. And at the end of it, at the end of singing, I surrender all, just take a mm -hmm. minute and go, what are things this week <laughs> that you didn't surrender? And you know, you right. Didn't, you know, right. like I didn't surrender right. all this week. Right. I know places mm -hmm. I failed. And so even in between songs, giving people a, a little moment to be like, but really, like, did you, you know, and do you and have you? Because that's the thing. Right. Like when you shift from lyrics that are, um, oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, hear the rolling thunder, your power throughout the universe display. This sings my soul. How great thou art. Like when you when you say that, anyone can say that. When you say, I love you so hard, it makes fire come out of my loins. <laughs> well, like, I, I don't know if I can say that. You know, like, mm -hmm. I, I've never right. felt that. And so I can either say it and lie. Um, I can say it and fool myself and think because I said it, it must be true. And, and that's interesting because, mm -hmm. in, you know, in the book of Psalms, only twice does it ever say, I love God. Psalm 18, one says that I love you, Lord. And Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord twice mm -hmm. in the whole thing. And it's like the psalmists weren't quick to assume they love God well. You know, we are because we mm -hmm. say it all the time. But that doesn't make it true. Like I can tell I can tell my wife I love her every day. But I, if I never actually get around to sacrificing for her giving right, to her, right. making time for her, communicate, like, because I said right. it doesn't make it true. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so what's tricky is like when worship music is so highly subjective and personalized, it makes people liars or watchers, unless they're just like mm. on cloud nine with Jesus. And, and I agree, like the whole, every Sunday, all, all day should not be a, a dirge, like a lament, like that would be horrible, <laughs> you know? But if there's never any time where we can acknowledge like what's going on in the world, what's going on mm. in our families, what's going on yeah. like, in, uh, in our cities, there's a yeah. lot of brokenness and God, we, you know, like being able to yeah. bring that to God and complain to God is honoring to God because it, it shows as long as I'm still bringing my complaint to God, um, 
I'm still bringing myself to God. But mm. as soon as I stop, um, as soon as I stop, God becomes some something I'm talking about and someone I'm talking to. Like lament is that complaint, lament. This stuff is so important and neglect is is so harmful. So if I and Glenn Packham, like one of the one of my friends here, um, he has a great illustration. He's like, you know, if you go buy something from a shop and it breaks down, you go back to the store and you're like, I want to speak to the manager. You know, mm-hmm. this thing you sold me it busted. And when you're doing that, you're not dishonoring the manager. You're you're actually honoring them. You're going, I believe you can do something about this. Okay. So complaining to complaining is not dishonoring. It's actually honoring the, the, the most dishonoring thing you could do is right. just, Oh, well, you know, you just Pretend. give up a little bit. Yeah. And Michael Card wrote this incredible, I think it's the best book I've read on lament. You know, it's called the, the uh, lost language of lament, lost language of lament, a sacred sorrow. Sorry. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And um, he really helps form me a long time ago in this, in that book because he, he just said, you know, our heads are miraculously fast. Our minds, our hearts are mysteriously slow and lament acknowledges the gap between our heads hmm. and our hearts. It's cool. And cause in my head, yeah, I, or maybe in my heart deep down, I really believe, yeah, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But in my head, I'm like, but what the heck? Like what's going on? Right. Like if this yeah. is the abundant life, I want my money back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so lament acknowledges that stuff and keeps you in communication with God. I think it's why like almost every major hero in the Bible, there's recorded approbation between them and God. Mm. Like, where yeah. are you? What's going on? They're mad at God. They're, they're bringing that anger. Like if I, maybe this all goes in with like, growing up in a society that didn't know what to do with negative emotions. Like I didn't grow up knowing what to do with negative emotions and my family, I never saw my parents fight once. Like Mm. that's not super helpful for me. Like in my own marriage, you know, like it came up last week, you know, like I'm like, Oh God, I'm so like stunted in, in my life, like knowing what to do with negative emotions. And if a whole society grows up that way, then you combine it with like hyper positivistic triumphal, worship it's like where is all that negative hurtful hard stuff where are we processing that if we're not bringing it to god we're not bringing it to each other where where is it we're just burying it further and further Mm. and it's coming out in any number of things you know all kinds of different elements so I, i i don't think yeah it's all one or all the other but i think like if six months have gone by especially in the last two years and there's never been one time of like hard confession that's the thing like in Uh liturgical settings in like more high church settings every week there's time for confessing sin you know yeah like in in rock and roll church you don't want to do that it's going to bum people out so like let's not worry about that but like for most of like most of church history there's always a time for like let's i mean think about that the the amazing confession from Cranmer's Book of Common Prayer, like for what we have done and left un- undone, you know, like what does it say? A little, oh gosh, my brain. Uh, I've prayed it a million times. 
But it's like, we've not loved you with our whole hearts. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry. We humbly repent for the sake of your son. Have mercy on us and forgive us. Mm -hmm. So we delight in your will, walk in your way to the Mm -hmm. glory of your name. It's like just naming that and giving a little space for going, we haven't, we haven't done this great this week, God. We're sorry. Mm -hmm. Have mercy. You know, Um, just even that much less like interceding for what's going on in the nation or in our cities or our neighborhoods or whatever. Right. Like, right. If we take that out and it never finds a way back in, I just don't know as far as like what we're forming people into, I think they're going to be a little malformed because Mm -hmm. there's a huge part of their experience. You're not making space for Right. right in the presence of God, you know? Yeah. 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 And one of the things that you were talking about a little bit ago, it, it's kind of like um, the church shouldn't be this place where we come to disconnect from the world. It's like this place where we come to disconnect from the problems that are going on in the world and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or to, you know, escape from those problems so that we can kind of feel good for a little while so that we can go back out into the world. Because ultimately, like what ha- you feel good for an hour and then it doesn't really ultimately, I think, probably bear too much fruit in your life as far as really helping you um, deal with getting back out into the world. You know what I mean? And so it, like a, a lot of times I think it can, we, we can treat church as kind of um, a way to escape what's going on. And so I, I resonated a lot with what you said there about, you know, not coming in and just like totally disconnecting and pretending that these, you know, problem, like if we're, there's something major going on in our society and yet like we just come in and don't even think about it or just kind of disconnect from it completely um not that again as you said it's not about turning the, f- the church service into a, a funeral it's like not about turning it into something to just be like singing dirges and 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 be lamenting mm-hmm. the whole time or anything like that but but to recognize corporately that there is something going on that's affecting us i definitely think that there's a that there's a major place for that um it's interesting because you're mentioning how so much of the mainstream worship that's produced in in this country in particular is very much like, you know, we're conquering, we've got the victory, you know, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting to me because the majority of the just regular Christian music that I hear in terms of the mainstream, and to be honest with you, I don't hear that much. Um, I kind of, I have a hard time listening to Christian radio. A lot of times say that, but, but, (laughs) but, um, what, what I hear a lot in the regular, like not the necessarily like the corporate worship songs, but Mm -hmm. the just regular kind of mainstream Christian worship, what I hear a lot is kind of the opposite. Um, I hear a lot of like, you know, my problems and, you know, kind of like this focus on, on me and it's hard but you're gonna help me get by like that kind of thing <laughs> like i hear a lot of that in the mainstream christian music and then on the corporate worship side it's very much kind of the opposite i don't like i don't know if there's a <laughs> it's just kind of like you know kind of polarizing in in a sense um but do you believe so to you is this a is it more like we just need to be more balanced? Like, do you think that a lot of these songs that are being written that do that are coming from this perspective of, you know, the way that I feel about God or the songs that are talking about, um, you know, how 
we've got the victory and we're, you know, breaking down these walls and moving the mountains and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think there's a place for them in worship, in corporate worship? Um, or do you think, and it's just a matter of becoming like maybe more balanced in the way that we go about the thing overall? Or do you think that it's just like, you know, overall, like this is something like, I just feel like we've got to change our focus and stop <laughs> writing uh, songs like this kind of, where do you fall? This is kind of just the personal, you know, your opinion. Like what, what do you think? Uh, okay. So here's are... the thing. Here's the, here's the thing. Um, I was thinking yeah. about this while you were talking. So there are prophetic moments in, in worship services, right? Where I think there's a place for whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. Like whatever the Holy Spirit is highlighting on that day for that group of people. Like there's times where I've been in worship services and there's like these prophetic moments. Maybe it's a moment of spontaneous worship or something like that. And I love I love those moments. And where maybe somebody starts to sing a spontaneous song and it's about something that might be kind of touchy feely or it's singing it's even like singing a song but it's sort of sort of like from god's perspective singing over the congregation i think there's like a total uh place for that um Mm -hmm. but i i just i just wonder how many of those moments are supposed to kind of stay in that moment but then we're like oh that sounded good let me bottle that up and (laughs) package that and kind of put that Uh out for the whole world and I just wonder, and I don't mean, and I'm not even, I'm not trying to be critical. I don't even know what the answer is. I'm just wondering if like, that's what we've done. Like there's times where I listen to a worship song and I'm like, oh, and in my mind, and I don't know for sure, but I just have this feeling. It's like, that sounds like something that was probably created by the Holy Spirit, like in a worship atmosphere where he was highlighting something to a particular group of people on a particular day. Like it just, I don't know for sure, but it's kind of, it sounds like that. It's got that kind of feel to it. And then maybe it was kind of taken and some words were added to it or something like that. And then it was, you know, put out for more of a a mainstream kind of a song. I'm not saying there's necessarily something wrong with that. I don't know, but I'm just wondering um, if, uh, yeah. So anyway, I think that if the Holy Spirit is breathing on something and moving in a certain way, we shouldn't put him in any kind of a box to say he would never lead you to sing that. He would never do that when you're on your own and you're in worship time. And like, you know, if God leads you to sing about your cats and dogs or like what I don't, I don't care. Like, I think Uh that there's, there's different, God can move however he wants to move. Um, But yeah, I just, I wonder how much of it is, you know, I, I don't know. Like how much of this are we supposed to, just adopt as like this is the direction we're going as the church now or how much of it in other words so the overall question is is it to you more of an issue of we just need to be more balanced or is it more of an issue of like we're actually kind of really missing god's heart in this thing Mm, that's hard um for for sure of course we need to be more balanced i think but more than that we need to be more thoughtful we need to consider you know, if if four weeks in a row you have a moment of spontaneity and every single one of them is uh, how much I love you. Wow, I really love you. Goodness me, I love you. You know, and it never actually gets into anything about him. It's still about us, like how much we this or how much we that. It's like that the spontaneity is fine, but is there substance is there ever substance? So that's back to the authenticity and maturity. Mm-hmm. Like, great, be authentic mm-hmm. and be simplistic if that's where you're at. But like, in the same way that we shouldn't 
project on everyone if we're hurting and they're not. We shouldn't project our immaturity on everyone if we're immature and they're not. So like we should be trying to call people up into the knowledge of God, like into right. the depths of his character and into like, it's, it's amazing. I think there's only two times in Psalms where it says it's got all this like, praise the Lord, praise him. I praise you where it doesn't give a reason. It doesn't say because he, mm. I think it's two, two times. Um, and one of them, Psalm 150, which that's kind of like the, the bookmark at the end or the, the, you know, the bookshelf or whatever it's called. It's like the bookend. Yeah, the bookends. That's what I meant. Yeah, bookends. Yeah, yeah, bookend. And it's like, it's summing up the whole book. It's like, because of all this, praise him. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Praise him. Um, there's only one other time where it says something like that without giving a reason. Um, and even in, you know, Psalm 136, which would be like pointed to as, no, look, God doesn't mind repetition. That's when it says like his love endures forever. Like, I don't know, oh, 35 right, right. times, mm -hmm. something like that. It doesn't just say that 35 times. It's like... Mm -hmm. Give thanks to the Lord, God and King, his love endures forever. Right. God of gods. His there's substance it, behind it. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's repetition and parallelism, but it's getting deeper and it's filling out more and more gloriously so that when you sing his love endures forever, it means something more every time. Or it's like in in Revelation where it's where it's the angels keep falling down singing holy. They're I think they're responding to more and more revelation of God that they're getting, and they're like, holy they just keep responding to the revelation and that's creating the repetition but what i'm afraid is happening is like we're just doing the repetition without revelation mm. and so it becomes I saw, vacuous I saw, I saw a meme i saw a meme yesterday <laughs> it said like i don't know if this is word for word but it said it was like uh this is a post about contemporary christian worship so that so it was like, this is a post about contemporary Christian worship. Then it said it again. This is a post about contemporary Christian worship. And it was like four times. Then it said, key change. <laughs> this is a post about contemporary Christian worship. I was like, that's that's pretty on the nose, you know? Well, yeah, yeah there's, I heard a song <laughs> last week. It's on Spotify. It's called the worship song song. And it yeah. is. Yeah, I've heard that. Very funny. It's, it, it's hilarious. But it's, and, it's uh, just and, pointing and, out what's really real. true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean really if you think back like think back a couple hundred years like think to the wesleys or isaac watts or fanny crosby or think think to martin luther you know like these people who wrote songs that have stood the test of time isaac watts joy to the world when i survey the wondrous cross um he was a he was not a 22 year old sipping frappuccinos trying to figure out ways to get his songs out there. Like he, he was a logic professor. Mm -hmm. He taught philosophy. He wrote a textbook that colleges used on logic. The Wesleys wrote 7,500 songs, three songs a week for 20 years. They were, um, I mean, they were leading an awaken, a continental renewal, like trying to mm -hmm. evangelize a country that didn't read. So they're putting the gospel into song um these songs like i'm just trying to, to show like the depth of songs that have lasted for more than let's say 30 right. years 50 years um is you cannot disconnect the depth of those songs from the depth of the songwriters and from the sacrificial faithful missional um you know 
lifelong uh, pursuit of Christ from those songwriters. And time is a really helpful filter. It just, Mm -hmm. time does what, but only time can and filtering out a lot of crap from hitting the history books, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's just hard now. 10,000 songs are added to Spotify every day. It's like, there's so much stuff that's coming out. And, you know, I coach worship leaders um, a couple different times every week. Yesterday, part of the conversation that the worship leaders were all having was like, what do you do? I get, I get about five new songs a week that people in my church want us to sing. What do I do? And I listened to these worship leaders talk about it. It's so different than it was even 20 years ago. Like before Spotify, like it was different. I remember when I first started leading worship, I would go to the Christian bookstore near my house. They had three Discman, little Sony Discmans with headphones. You could like listen, you could listen to the newest worship, you know, CDs before you bought them. And, um, you know, I was just judicious about this is 1899. Like I, I'm not just going to throw this Mm -hmm. away. Like I need to see what this record sounds like. And also, and it's just so different now. There's just, you're bombarded with a lot of, you know, mediocrity. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily, you know, and that you might be like, that's subjective. Well, some of it is, but some of it isn't like, you know, in our, in worship school, we talk about a great song has three things. It is, mm-hmm. um, it's artistically beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's congregationally accessible. And it's theologically insightful. If mm-hmm. if a worship song isn't all three of those, and you be like, those are subjective. Well, yes and no. Like beauty is kind of subjective, but there's also mm-hmm. tenets of musical composition that everyone's playing by. Like right. this is beautiful. This is not. This is peaceful. This is aggressive. This, you know, like there are things that you learn when you study music composition or arranging Mm. or performance. It's not, they're not just like, just feel it. Like there are things that you need to learn just like in art. Like, of course, you know, there's there in in painting, you can see it with Picasso. Like you see, if you Mm. study Picasso, you see like how he used to be able to do literal reproduction incredibly. And then he broke out of that into this, cubism and abstract minimalism and all this kind of stuff same with matisse like those guys they they got to this beautiful simplicity by working through the stages of difficult training and literal reproduction all that kind of stuff um i just think like it's the same thing that happened with um like home movies like back in the day you know if a family had a video recorder it was probably this huge thing. It had a bag oh, yeah. attached to it, you know? So very few people could just like mm-hmm. make like home up movies. on your shoulder. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> had and the so, thing on the side. You could slip your hand through so you didn't drop it. Yeah. 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 So that's where it started. And then it got smaller and smaller and smaller. And now anyone can make a movie like on their phone. Yeah. Right. Oh, and yeah. it actually looks better than those big clunky cameras did so mm-hmm. putting that tool in people's hand is great it, it helps people do it it doesn't help them do it well like right. they, they don't know anything about composing a scene directing the flow how to do audio how to do coloring how do you 
cut? How do you do transition? Like filmmaking, sure. <laughs> because you you can like because you have the gear to do it doesn't mean you have the skill to do it or training. Same thing with music. Um, so back in the day, I would spend forty grand on an album. Like we'd record a two inch tape, you know, a week in Nashville at Dark Horse Studios or something. Like tons wow. of money yeah. to get it to sound that good. Now I could get it to sound that good here. You know, but that doesn't mean, I mean, I, I've got the gear, I've got the gear that I, I don't have the skill, you know, yeah. like, and that doesn't mean that the songs are going to be any good anyway. So it's like, we've got like really shiny, polished turds, basically, mm. but they're still turds, you know, it's like, right. Just because it's polished doesn't mean it's good. Um, and so Golly, I've, that's a real digression. Sorry, um, but those those three <laughs> like those three criteria. Yeah. Are, I think it's very hard to find songs that are all three of those. Okay. Um, and and again, like if if artistically beautiful is the most subjective, just double clicking on that and go here. Here's what I mean. Yeah. And, and here's a real simple practical, uh, practical like test. Break the lyrics apart from the melody. Are the lyrics beautiful? Like, do they mm -hmm. stir you? Like if you just read those, is that beautiful or is it kind of like eh, it's kind of banal actually? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then just listen to the melody without the lyrics, without the cool pads and guitars and drums. Just listen to the melody. Is that beautiful? You know, um, because classical music, like if you listen to Bach, right, or Mozart, there's not even lyrics, and it's making you cry. Why? You know, because there's mm -hmm. something deep right. in you that right. is connecting to this beautiful, masterful composition. Right. And so when you have people, a generation who haven't been trained theologically, they're writing lyrics and they haven't mm -hmm. been trained musically and they're writing melody. Don't be too surprised that it's not that beautiful. It's kind of boring. It's not very inspiring, but man, it's catchy, you know, so it's catchy. Beauty, artistically beautiful and then congregationally accessible is because this should be for us this is not just mm -hmm. for the artists to communicate their feelings this is for the community to actually express their love and their relationship with god you know like is it accessible to everyone or yeah. is it so niche that it's like it's not really accessible to anyone and then theologically insightful because not just it's not good enough to be true like saying God is good, God is good, God is so, so good. That's true, but it's not insightful. By mm. that I mean like it doesn't make me think any new thoughts about the goodness of God. Or just saying you're faithful, you're faithful. Wow, you're so faithful. That doesn't make mm. me have any new discovery around the faithfulness of God. And I think like we ought to be trying to provoke people into more wonder and into more honest expression, you know, of, of where they're at with God's glory, instead of just, just kind of doing repetition up here, it's not beautiful. Right. It's not really accessible and it's not insightful either, you know? Um, so easy to find songs that are one of those harder to find songs that are two, very hard to find songs that are all three of those. Do you have, I don't know if you would have something in your head or not. Do you have an example of a song that like would be a well-known song um, that that is all three of those or that you think is all three of those? 
Does anything come to mind? Uh, I don't know yeah, if you've, you've sure. thought along those lines or not. You know what well, I mean? Well, I mean, I would say like, what a beautiful name, you know, from Hillsong. Mm -hmm. Like that was, it was a Makes massive think, song. Right, like there's depth to it. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, even, um, I mean, Greater You Lord, you know, like Leslie Jordan and those guys, like massive song. And that's a really simple one. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like theologically comprehensive, but just the right. fact that, I mean, that is a very simple song, but yeah, it's saying like, I, I don't know. Did people well, think about the breath in their lungs before that song, like in worship? And yeah. it, just to say that we pour it out in praise, really powerful. And then like to get into the bridge about like all the earth will shout your praise. Like mm -hmm. um, our, yeah. our hearts, will, our bones will sing. So there's like some good, there's metaphor, there's some good stuff going on, even though it's simple it's really powerful, you know? Mm. So there are songs that hit those, but there are also huge songs that don't hit any of them. Then I'm okay. like, this won't be around very long. You know what I mean? Like no one's going to be talking about this song in five years. Yeah. Well, I think the subjective side of it is, I mean, I, I remember um, a worship set and I don't really remember a whole lot about it, but it was, you know, the kind of the normal songs going on like the new newer not normal songs but like newer songs and and stuff mm -hmm. like that and then kind of like a lull and there was some i think a moment of just spontaneous worship and then kind of like silence and then the worship leader came back in with um uh god is so good god mm -hmm. is so good god is so good you're so good to me and just mm -hmm. kind of like that over and over and that's like as simple as you can get when it comes yeah. to a worship song but it was also like uh, just a moment of to me just just pure worship you know like it was it was so simple it wasn't something that was like um you know now that song probably in like a reg you know like in a different moment probably wouldn't have hit that hard it, it probably wouldn't but like in that moment yeah. <laughs> in that moment that song was so strategically placed that I, it probably wasn't even planned it was just it was like yeah, yeah. this is like like let's do it because everybody knows that song right and it was it broke my heart in half like in that moment mm -hmm. that it was in you know what i mean and so that's where um you know obviously i think there's a lot of nuance in this conversation right but i think that what you're talking about kind of like the overall big picture is we need to be raising up um people in worship ministry that are you know that they're going to have that that honesty that authenticity that maturity you know all that kind of stuff i i guess i i want to kind of get back into the thing about um the shift from just from a worship leader to a worship pastor mm -hmm. um i i think what i understood from what you said earlier is that kind of in a in, in an ideal setting uh, that you would have a you would have a worship pastor um, in would you say in every church setting as opposed to as opposed to a worship leader right and so do you think that is that something that people should be allowed to grow into progressively over time or is it something where ideally like you're not in that position at all until <laughs> <laughs> until you've kind of and, and and i and i think that um you know there you know let's 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 create the ideal you know worship 
song leader for for a minute you know they've got some musical skill they can sing you know they can do that they can lead people they've got a heart for people they've got that you know shepherding pastoral heart for people uh they want to have they want people to have an encounter with god they're also encountering god on their own so that they're not coming in cold on a sunday morning but they've got some depth in terms of their relationship with god but then also the 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 maturity and the growth in the word of god itself so that there's some theological depth and understanding that we're able to pull from <laughs> like like i've got something in my well that i could pull from so that i can you know have something to maybe instruct the congregation on or to have a moment where you know we we hear a line in a song and then it's like you know what let's let's dig into that and see like what is god really saying to us today about that and so that sort of theological depth right that comes from studying god's word whether that's in a, an institute of higher learning on your own both whatever like mm -hmm. but um you know is is this kind of is that kind of what you mean or is there more to it than that or you know uh, when you're talking about the shift from a worship leader to a worship pastor and is that something that people should um you know have an opportunity to kind of grow into as they're in the the worship leading role yeah i mean yes of course like i mean jesus sends out his disciples way before that we would have said they were ready you know like yeah. Learn, you learn on the job. Like it's, it's OTJ on the job training. Um, that's fine. But um, thinking you don't even need the training is not fine. That's a problem. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I mean, I just think, I mean, the worship pastor has maybe as much time in the gathered service with the congregation as the senior pastor does these days yeah. depending on the yeah is it a homily is it a sermon you know uh, yeah. depending but that that person leading the songs and leading everything that happens before and between and after those songs has as much opportunity to shape what that congregation believes about god about his mm. working in the world about how he views them about um, what's going on in their family like that person has as much opportunity and in a way, maybe even a strategic advantage because of the power of art and music. And because they're, you know, the preacher is probably kind of doing a hermit, like a homiletical approach. It's rhetoric, it's persuasive speech, it's teaching. Maybe it's who, who knows, but in, in the worship side, you're bringing all these different forms of communication to bear mm. that actually could be a little, they could even be stickier, you know, like, the melodies, the lyrics might be lasting on the drive home when they can't they can't quite remember that third point that you made. Mm, okay. um, so they've got a serious opportunity. So I'm just saying serious opportunity to really help people, really do hardly anything for people, or really hurt people with well, what they pick, what they say, what they pray. And if you listen, you know, it's fine if it I don't expect a 25-year-old to have this deep knowledge of God and for it to be just like bubbling out, quoting, you know, St. Francis or quoting the heroes. Of, like, I expect it to be pretty simple, but I hope it's still beautiful, accessible, and mm. insightful, you know? Um, but over time, if, if it's never growing deeper, 
and there's there's no intentional pursuit of growing deeper it's more just like let's just keep doing this then i'm like hmm. the pastor would never do that like the pastor wants to keep pressing forward and keep digging deeper and always trying to figure out how can i help this congregation follow jesus well you know but the hmm. worship leader doesn't doesn't have to think like that and so i i, I just feel like we we should not diagnose what's happening in contemporary culture without remembering what was at least described, if not prescribed in scripture. And in the new Testament, the pastoral epistles talk about a lot of different competencies. Uh, well, sorry, a lot of different character traits that you should have. If you're going to be a leader in the church, you know, integrity, uh, honest with money, good marriage, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And then it only talks about two competencies. And they are, you're really good at hospitality and right. you're really good with sound doctrine. So hospitality, like opening your life, having an open life, uh, an open home. Do your neighbors know you, you know, like do your team members know you or do they just see you from a distance? You can look good from a distance. Like if, if your neighbors have never been in your house I don't know if you should be allowed to lead a church because like one of the only two competencies that is required mm -hmm. is good at hospitality, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's funny because we'll talk about, we'll get on stage and talk about how good it is to be in the house. Good to have you in the house. Great to be in the house. And then we never have anyone in our house, like our actual home, you know? But like Paul, Paul was not afraid when he was doing his church planning stuff. He was not afraid to rent huge venues and preach. He wasn't afraid to go to the Areopagus. Mm -hmm. He wasn't afraid to go to temples, but he also yeah. went house to house. Early church, Acts 2.42, they met in the temple and they went house to house. So I think one of the, the reason hospitality is so important is because um, the house is the, the strongest, one of the strongest things we could possibly leverage for the glory of God. And instead, most of us like have abnegated our homes when it comes to discipleship and our homes are our fortresses, our castles, where we retreat to. And then we just do all of our mission up at the church. But that that's not how it worked yeah. in the early church. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at persecuted contexts where they can't even meet corporately and they have to just meet in homes, the church does pretty good. You know, right. um, yeah. it's illegal to sing. They can't. But but they're praying for each other. They're studying the word. They're loving their neighbors. Re kind of revival often breaks out. But but because we're not in a persecuted context, we've just expected the, the church to be able to do everything. And then we'll just mm. kind of live our lives over here with our home. But I wow. think like, I think a worship pastor should be held to at least, maybe not the same um, starting line, but at least the same trajectory as a, a teaching pastor, different areas of competency and skill and focus for sure. Mm -hmm. But the character traits probably should be the same. Um, yeah. The ability to have people in your home. And honestly, like one of the tenets of discipleship that we teach around worship school is like, if nobody wants your life, you're never going to make disciples because discipleship requires that somebody wants your life. And if you don't want your life, well, I promise no one else does, you know, like, yeah. so you've got to live a life that is worth imitating. 
And this is all through the Bible. Like, live a life worth imitating, you know? Imitate me as I imitate Christ, all that kind of stuff. And so I think a, a worship pastor should basically be like, a, a strong worship pastor should be a senior pastor's favorite hire because they are a right-hand friend, a confidant, an ally. They will help make disciples in this community. They will help carry this community in prayer. Um, they like If a worship pastor was doing what I think they should be doing, they would be like a senior pastor's dream. I actually had a pastor in Boston call me one time. He was looking for a worship leader. And he was like, he heard about our vision at worship school. What we want to raise and release these spiritual mothers and fathers to create a shape that she's a church. And he goes, I, he's like a worship leader who knew how to make disciples is like the best thing I could ever think of. Mm. <laughs> like instead of yeah, man. what's often the case is the worship leader is like kind of adversarial with the senior leader. They're coming left brain, right brain, maybe, or personalities or emphases or, or oftentimes the worship leader is like, you take care of all the Bible stuff. I'll just do this stuff. And right. it's, it's ridiculous. Like when they are connected and in solidarity, like when you see the, the prophetic with the artistic and you see this through the Bible, when you see both of those together, you get more than double, you get more than the sum of the parts. You know what I mean? Mm, um, yeah. And I think it's why, I think it's one of the reasons why like a lot of the major worship movements that have really taken the world by storm in the last 10 years all have this, they, they have the apostolic or like didactic or prophetic thing with this artistic musical thing. So like Bethel was a big one, right? And mm-hmm. it's the it's the pastor and his son. Hillsong, right. the pastor and his son. Um, even like, I mean, it's less and less so these days, but like even like passion back in the day, it was like this brilliant communicator right. and Louis, and then these these writers who they were mm-hmm. basically taking John Piper and putting it into like let's sing John Piper quotes, you know, and let's let's do that. And there was always like a lot of the major movements that had a huge effect had both components where there were very good Bible teachers teaching that whole time, but they never like affected the worship world like that. And they were great songwriters, but they weren't linked up to that prophetic or apostolic kind of figure. And so they they never impacted the scene like those other movements. Yeah. I think like when you bring those together, yeah. Yeah. catalytic. Yeah. So good, man. Yeah, I was just having a conversation with somebody uh, the other day. I think it might have been the last ep- uh, couple episodes ago, I guess. But uh, we were talking about discipleship and and how it really comes down so much in just terms of practical everyday living and just like how you open your life up to people, including opening up your home and, and allowing people to kind of get get close to you and to just be part of your life to be part of your world that that's so much of of what discipleship comes down to and if we if we look at it less of like something that i have to do you know like it's like it's like oh i'm not discipling well like okay i gotta start discipling like you know if we look at it less as something that we have to do because then it kind of feels like work but if we look at it more of just like this is who i am this is actually like one of the most foundational aspects of who I am, because I am a disciple, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And part of that is to make disciples. It's just, it's part of it. I can't disconnect it 
I can't disconnect it from that. I can't disconnect myself from from that. It's mm -hmm. just this, an essential aspect of the calling of every single follower of Jesus. And so where it's not just this thing that I have to do, but it's who I am. And so it naturally yeah. flows out of my life. And I and I am given to hospitality and my life is open to people. And that does, man, it get, it, it gets messy. You know, it, it can get messy at times. It can be like uncertain at times. But, you know, just that that willingness to um, to open up our lives in that way is um, is such a big deal. And I, I just love um, the, the, the final thing that I just want to um, mention here on the on, on 10,000 fathers and mothers mm -hmm. and what your passion is and 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 what one of your your big goals and in, in what you do is to shift people forgive me if i'm getting the the wording wrong um i have it like half in my head but it's you know moving moving people you know so people from just leading songs to leading people right so so the shift from a worship leader to a worship pastor it's not i'm here to lead the songs it's mm -hmm. I'm here to lead people. I'm here to shepherd people. Um, and uh, if you would, I, unfortunately, I'm I'm just about out of time. I could I feel like we're just scratching the surface, bro. Like and I would love to uh, do this again at some point if sure. you're open to that. I've, I've really enjoyed sure. it. And I appreciate all the all the wisdom that you're sharing, man. Um, I wish I had a, had some more time. But uh, yeah, if, if, if you would, uh, I'd love just, you know, maybe any any closing thoughts that you have on on that and then if you could also maybe just share some some links some websites where we could point some people 10kfam.com mm -hmm. and uh, anywhere else that you want to uh point people where they could find some more resources and things like that and the, some of the things that we're talking about sure yeah um well i mean the first thing i'd say just to start wrapping up would be if you are a worship leader listening to this um the role that you have in your community is so beautiful. And for mm -hmm. you to walk through that season faithfully is really honoring to God. Like the comfort you can bring the people of God in times of hurt, the courage you can bring them in times of fear, you know, the the clarity of you, you can hear from God for a community and share a word from God. I mean, Isaiah talks about like, you know, that that can sustain the weary. Like you speaking a word can be sustenance for people. And so just to just to heighten the dignity of this role, after it seems like I've been bashing it, um, the second thing would be because of the dignity of it, get some training. Don't don't just keep trying um, to do it better, and don't you're probably not going to get great help from celebrities because um, celebrity and discipleship are antithetical. They're, they're different things. Um, so like expecting celebrities to do discipleship is like expecting pornography to create purity. It's just like opposite. They're opposite things. Um, and oh. so like you really need to find, you don't just need to find like a teacher or a mentor. You need to find a mother and a father. You need to find a family mm. where you can actually go be real, be yourself, that's that's why celebrity like celebrities aren't going to do this because they don't have time like right. a, a million people who want to hang out with x person that doesn't work um right. it's not gonna work so go find a family where you can be who you really are and you know that mm -hmm. they will be who they really are and you can seek god together 
for yeah. a focused season of uh, intentional investment. Um, and then shoot, like find some people you can be that for. Like mm. go find a family where you can be who you need it. Like, and then find people that you can go um, and create that for them. And if there's any ways that we can help, that's why we exist um, at 10K Fan. We'd love to help. Um, if you know, if you're not ready for an 18 month commitment that costs thousands of dollars and is master's level courses, then check out Mere Worship because Mere Worship um, is like ten dollar a month subscription where you can still be in conversation with worship leaders every month. You can get into weekly coaching calls with me and other worship leaders every week if you want. There's tons of stuff on there. You do not have to do this on your own, and mm. um, I would really encourage you not to try to do this on your own. You need safe people that can't fire you um, to uh, be honest with and to collaborate with, to learn from. And we are all better together than any of us is on our own. So um, yeah, mere worship, 10kfam.com, worship.school, lots of different ways you can find what we're doing here. Um, But we've, yeah, we've walked with over 500 leaders in the last 15 years and look forward to what God's doing next in the next season. It's awesome. Awesome. Love it. Thank you again, man. Really appreciate you. Thank you for just Thanks, how dude. generous you've been with your time and with everything you shared. Sure, man. It's, uh, it's, it's been awesome, man. So, uh, yeah, well, thank you, everybody, for taking the time to check out this episode. Appreciate you guys as well. I pray that the that it blessed you, challenged you, made you think, something like that. Um, if you would uh, listen, if you're watching this live or catching the rebroadcast and uh, you're doing that on Facebook, Facebook is the only place that I'm actually currently doing that. There's a brand new Facebook page for Real Live Talk. It's facebook.com slash Real Live Talk podcast. If you want to check that out, it's kind of a streamlined, more uh, centralized way for me. I think I'm going to be able to uh, just add a little bit more more value um, to you guys by having everything in a, in a central location right now. Uh, also, you can check this out on all the major podcast platforms as well. But uh, appreciate you guys so much. Hope you'll come back for a future episode. And again, Aaron, thanks, brother. Enjoyed it. See you, dude.